title of the message this morning is Healthy Concern versus Unhealthy Worry. Now, we're going to see the concern and worry from the biblical perspective and the way those words are translated and used in the Bible. They're not the same. They don't mean the same. Context is everything. We're going to see that the exact same Greek word is sometimes translated anxiety and worry, and other times it's translated concern, care, and compassion. Same word. It's all about the context. So we're going to do a quick little review of what I shared two weeks ago. I'll try to be very brief because I want to really stress the main point that maybe didn't get stressed near enough two weeks ago and then move into what I want to really share today. And I'll just warn you that as I get into the the last, maybe the last part of the message, if you don't want your feet stepped on, you better pick them up because they'll probably get stepped on. And we'll just call it the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want to start with a scripture this morning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. Don't worry about anything. I mean, can you imagine how you or I respond when someone throws that at us when they know we're worried? Ah, come on, don't worry about anything. Well, this is in the Word of God. And it's Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me, And saw me doing. Then the God of peace. Then the God of peace will be with you. Boy, does that verse cut me to the quick. I bet there's more than one of you that can relate to the scenario that I find myself going through way too regularly. Go to bed at night, tired, and I cannot get to sleep. I toss and turn thinking about things that are distressing to me, things that are issues, circumstances, problems. And so I do the the right thing, right? I say, Lord, take this from me and give me sleep. And then you know what I do? Toss and turn. Toss and turn. And figure out and try to think about, what is I, how am I going to fix this? Immediately, leaving God out of the equation. Now, if somebody would say to me, Mike, why are you worrying? I would say, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. Yeah, right. I'm worried. Sleep doesn't come. Sometimes worry 
which is usually rooted in fear, can be hard to identify in our own lives. I'm really good at identifying fear-driven worry in other people's lives. But sometimes in my own life, I, I don't see it. If I see anything, I call it concern, because that's okay. And sometimes we even convince ourselves that even worry is okay. I mean, really, if, if I love my children, I love my spouse, I love you, shouldn't I worry about your well-being? Shouldn't I worry about your health? Shouldn't I worry about my kids' grades? Shouldn't I worry about... I mean, really, it's just a demonstration of love. What a lie. But it's easy to buy into. Worry. Worry. Unhealthy worry. I wish I could tell you that scripture fits my way of thinking all the time, but it does not. But it should. And if we could actually apply that the way we should and the way the grace of God will allow us to and makes it possible, we would take care of a whole lot of issues in our own lives. So what does the Bible say about worry and concern? I'm not going to get into this real deeply necessarily, but I want us to see that there's a difference between the two. And I think as we go on, you'll be able to see very clearly that there's a big difference between the two. Well, let's start with worry. Well, this is easy. The Bible makes it very clear about God's attitude towards worry. Amen? What does he say? Well, the scripture I just read says what? Don't worry. Don't worry. What do you got to worry about? When we worry, God knows, and we saw this last week, and I'll touch on this in just a minute. We talked two weeks ago, I should say, about David and Goliath and the the Philistines and the army of God or Saul's army and the King Saul himself. We talked about that fear when Goliath would come out for 40 days in a row, intimidating him, threatening them. Just words, mind you, just words. They were paralyzed and couldn't do anything. God knows that. When we get into worry, it'll paralyze us into inactivity or it'll cause us to make bad decisions and we do bad things. We do wrong things. And it may not be the kind of things you think of that bring about some physical destruction or something like that or cause deep consequences that we're even aware of. But when we let fear-driven worry affect the way we think, it can affect our behavior, the words that come out of our mouths, our testimony of Jesus, our witness for him. And it's easy. And we're going to look at some of the things in our culture that it's really easy to go that direction. Worry. The difference between worry and concern from a biblical perspective, as I said, has to be framed in the context of the scriptures you're looking at and reading. If you would look up this Greek word, meranao, you would see sometimes worry. Anxiety, fear. Other places you'll see it translated care, concern, compassion. And you go, how can the same word be translated so totally different? It's because of the context of that word and the way that it's used. When it's used in a negative context, it's very easy to see worry and anxiety. And you can see when you look at the context, you can see clearly the situation. This is worry. How many of you know God doesn't worry? God's not worried. He doesn't worry at all. But did you know God gets concerned? You look in the Old Testament, you'll see God is concerned. You'll see in the New Testament, Jesus was concerned about a lot of things. And when you look at the context and the way that God or Jesus responded, 
is totally different than the way a person would respond when we're worried and it's driven by fear. And I keep saying that fear-driven worry, and you may not agree with me on this, but most of our worry, we, our worry if we would really, really sit down and get a little bit introspective and ask ourselves, where is that coming from? Why am I so worried about that? You're going to discover there's a fear in there. And a lot of times that fear has to do with our own pride. But it's really a fear, and it's always about me. Me. How is this going to impact me? What's it going to do to me? Unhealthy worry. Now, when it comes to the story of David and Goliath, two weeks ago I went through this, and I ended that message with five action points to, to say, you know, when we're facing a fearful situation, we need to do some things to activate our faith in the face of fear. Fear comes and steals our faith. If we let it, it steals our faith. Worry steals our faith. We need to recognize it as fear. We need to understand what it is. And then we need to do these certain things. But it was pointed out to me this week by one of my beloved elders that, you know, I maybe didn't make this point clear enough. And as I look back through my notes and listen to it, I didn't make it clear enough. Looking at David and Goliath, most all of us know the story, so I don't have to go in great detail. But I want us to just notice a few things that David spoke that should enlighten us to something that's really, really significant. Because think about this. This shepherd boy came on this situation where the armies of King Saul, the armies of the Lord, are totally paralyzed in fear. And what possibly could be different in this young shepherd boy that caused him to react so differently? That's what I want us to see first. When we look at this in verse 26, and if you want to read all of this story again, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You don't need to necessarily turn there. I'm just going to take a few of the verses and give us a little bit of insight. David comes, and he goes to his brothers, and he sees what's going on. He asks what's going on, and he's like, what's wrong with you guys? Goliath comes down, and he's taunting. He's defying the God of Israel. And David's like, what's wrong with you guys? And what do they do? They ridicule him. They mock him. They accuse him of wrong motives. They talk to accuse him of being prideful. The who do you think you are type of thing. He's facing all of that, but it doesn't stop him. And then in verse 45, David says these words as he's gone now now to confront Goliath, the giant. You know, and the giant tells David, who are you? You little wimp. Who do you think you are? I'm going to destroy you and feed you to the birds. David has a response. David declares, I don't come with a sword. I don't come with a spear. I don't come with a javelin. But I come in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies that you have taunted. Again, notice in these two verses that I've already just mentioned. One, these are the armies of the living God you're insulting. Who do you think you are to taunt the armies of the living God? It's not about the soldiers. It's not about King Saul. It's about God. Verse 46, it goes on. And he tells, I love his boldness. He tells Goliath exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut off your head. Separate it from your body. 
And then we're going to destroy our armies and the birds are going to eat their flesh and the wild beasts will come and eat the rest of their flesh. That's what is going to happen. But you know what he says? He doesn't say that's what I'm going to do to you exactly. He says, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. It's going to be the Lord's doing. You've insulted the Lord's armies. You've insulted and defied the God of Israel and he is not going to put up with it. He has a concern For his own reputation. The Lord does. David's concern is for the Lord. He's not letting anybody's feelings or his own feelings get in the way of what he knows the Lord wants. He understands the Lord's heart. And he goes on and says, the Lord will give you into my hands. And then it goes into verse 47 and he says, and why would I do all this? Well, verse 46 ends this way that all the earth may know that you are the God of Israel. And then he continues that same thought in verse 47, and that all this assembly, all of these troops, all these soldiers that are lined up on the hill, paralyzed by fear, all the Philistines that are behind Goliath, overconfident because he's a big dude, all of these, this assembly will know, know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle belongs to the Lord, and He will give you into my, our hands. See the difference when you look through just these small five verses of this story. David comes on the scene, this unthreatening shepherd boy. And he gets in the middle where his brothers are sitting amongst the army of Israel, the Lord's army, ask what's going on, here's what's going on, and something in his heart rises up immediately. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to taunt, to defy the God of Israel? He stood up and understood the heart of God. He understood a few other things. He understood that the Lord God had delivered him and had been preparing him for this day his whole life. He even says, the Lord God delivered me from the bear, delivered me from the lion, and he would deliver me here. Everything he's doing is all about the Lord. None of it has to do with David. David knew the Lord's heart. And David's heart was aligned with the Lord's heart. I tell you all that to say those five points that I shared two weeks ago, I think are really, really things we need to take to heart. But first and foremost, we need to make sure that we have searched our heart and allowed the Holy Spirit to search our heart and find out what's in there before we do those five steps that I suggested a couple of weeks ago. I said, go forward in faith, even when you're misunderstood. David wasn't understood at all, but he had faith. Go forward in faith. Be willing to take bold steps. He certainly did that. Refuse to be put off. He didn't listen to the naysayers that told him he's crazy. He couldn't do it. Always remember where the power and the victory comes from. The Lord will deliver me. And lastly, be yourself. Great steps to take. As long as your heart is aligned with the Lord on whatever issue it is or whatever circumstance it is that you're ready to step into. 
that's causing fear. We're really good. I'm really good at labeling things in other people's lives, especially if I don't agree with them. Really, I should say they don't agree with me because I know I'm right. My position's righteous, always. And therefore, any actions or words I speak must be righteous because I'm righteous in my position. I know none of you think like I do, and now you need to pray for me. But I have to battle that a lot, a lot. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. And we need to discover if we would just take that thought captive, think about what's good and what's right and what's pure and righteous, our thoughts would change, and certainly then the words that come out of my mouth would change, and the actions that I take would change. We need to always remember that we are called to be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Full-time. Full-time. Not when we are thinking that we're in a good place and the people around us are all in agreement and we love on them and we're all just in a happy place. They all got to be right because they all agree with me. And then there's those morons. Those there's idiots. Those people that are like the army of Saul. They're paralyzed by fear. They're just like sheep being led to the slaughter. What's going to do? What's that going to do to me when I might not be on the same page as those others? When we allow worry to get a hold of us, we make bad decisions. And it's easy for what might have started as concern to slip over here into worry. And when that happens, it should be obvious to us. So, going on from that to healthy concern versus unhealthy worry. I told you God is concerned. I'm going to just share a couple of scriptures from the Old Testament. 2 Kings 13, verse 23. The Lord was gracious to them. And he's, it's, this verse is in context. The context of the verse is he's talking about Israel, who's been exiled, and they have not done well. They have not been obedient to him. They have defiled him themselves. And it says, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his peasants. He is concerned about his covenant. He's concerned about his covenant people. You know, he could have snapped his fingers and wiped them all out and says, I'm going to call another group. But he was concerned, not worried, but concerned. Ezekiel 36, verse 21, the prophet Ezekiel. And again, it's dealing with this people Israel, God's chosen people, who just kept messing up. And he would bring about a lot of issues for them to try to get them back in the right place. And once again, they'd messed up. And it says in verse 21, I had concern. For my holy name, which the house of Israel itself profaned among the nations where they had gone. God sees what those people are doing and what it's doing to his reputation, his holy name. And what does he do? He says, this is a bad deal. This is wrecking me. This is ruining me. I got to wipe these people out and I got to get some people to do it right. No, he was concerned. And what did he do? He says to them, I'm going to bring you back to a new land. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. 
I'm going to put my spirit in you and you'll be able to obey me. Concern. What did his concern do? The worry didn't cause him to destroy him and overreact in a negative or bad way, unlike his character. His concern caused him to do something that would bless them. Outward thinking, concern. Not inward-focused, selfish worry. We come into the New Testament. And we see here when it leads to a positive action, it's used in a positive way. Some of the words you'll see it translated, depending on what translation you read, you'll see it concerned or concerned, care for, care, or even compassion. Same word. Matthew 6, verse 25. This is Paul, again, or Matthew, again, Jesus speaking. This is why I tell you not to worry. Don't worry about life. Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink and enough clothes to wear. It isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing. Notice here the negative context and notice what it's dealing with then. What are you worrying about? I'm worrying about all these things that affect me because it's all about me. I'm worried about the food. Am I going to have enough food? Do I have enough clothes? Do I have gas in my car? Do I have enough of this? Do I what, I'm worrying about all these things. It's all, you know, I, I, I'm going to quote somebody I read. So you don't blame me. But some people say the most powerful manifestation of pride is worry. Because it's all about me. I'm worried about my safety, my control, all about me. I'm worried about my kids. Why? Well, because it'll really hurt me if they, something happens, this, that, or the other thing. I'm concerned about my kids. All right, what can I do to help them, to protect them, to keep them safe? Big difference. Seems little, seems like I might be parsing words. Big difference. So when we go in the context of it in the positive sense, I'm going to just share a few scriptures. Philippians 2.20. For there is no one here like him. This is Paul talking about Timothy. He says, there is no one here like him who will readily demonstrate his deep concern for you. Same word as worry and anxiety. Positive context. Timothy cares about you. He will pour his life out for you, and he'll pour his life into you. He has concern for you. First Corinthians seven thirty-two through thirty-four, dealing with husbands and wives, married people versus unmarried people, and the Lord. And notice the word concern in many different ways. And I want you to be free from concern, not worry. I want you to be free from concern. As unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord. How so to please the Lord, that unmarried man? But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how to please his wife. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about how to please your wife. But it can actually take away from our concern for serving the Lord, simply because of focus. This is all Paul's saying here as he's writing this letter. He's not saying you shouldn't be concerned. You know, don't get married. You'll be concerned. It's a bad thing. You're going to worry all the time. No. And then he goes on and he, he says in the reverse of that, an unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord to be holy both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world and how to please her husband. Again, concerned. Nothing wrong with concern to do those things. As a matter of fact, God would expect it of us. 
Paul's just saying in the world of that day and the world of today, you know what? It might be a lot easier just to be single. Not that I agree with him, but it might be. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. But God has so composed the body. Now, now he's addressing the church, the body, everybody here. And he's saying, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care. There's the word. For one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In the positive context, when this word is translated concern, it's always unselfish. And it's others-oriented. Healthy concern is always outward-focused. I'm concerned, how can I help? I'm concerned, how can I serve? I'm concerned, what can I do to help you, to make you better, whatever it is? Outward focused. Genuine concern, care for others, should be an attribute of every Christian. God loves the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Love everybody. We don't have to agree with everybody, but we're called to love everybody. God loves everybody. If that love is in us, it should manifest in the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we work, the way we behave, the way we think. It should do all of those things. So what do we have when we're concerned slash worried? And how do I know the difference for sure? I'm going to give you more information than you want. But this next slide shows some characteristics of concern and some characteristics of worry. Can you even read them? Yeah, I guess you can read them all. So when you just look at them quickly, if, I, if I'm concerned, I am focused on other people. If I'm worried, I'm self-centered. I'm worried about how this is going to impact me. Motivates us to serve, puts up barriers that keep us from serving. Worry about this, that, and the other thing. Puts up barriers. Promotes constructive action. Paralyzes us. Look at David versus the army. Real concern is welcomed by others. I put usually down because sometimes it doesn't seem no matter what. Some people don't want to receive your concern at all. But most of the time, because it's coming out of a compassion, a love, and a caring. Not welcomed by others. Worry. It's driven by love. Worry is driven by fear. The goal is to help. There is no goal. Or if there is one, it's self-centered. It strengthens relationships. This is one I could go on and on about. Real worry tends to weaken relationships. Look what's happening to relationships in our culture today. What's happening Is it because we're concerned? Or is it because there's fear-driven worry? I don't have expectations of an unbeliever. And we'd be good not to. But there should be expectations of us as believers when it comes to relationships and demonstrating the love of Christ. 
And lastly, tempered with faith. Faith to overcome. Faith is overcome by fear and doubt with worry. It's the rest of the sermon I didn't know how to do. What are we worried about? Is there anything out there that has slipped from concern to worry that causes us to act in a totally different way than we should as ambassadors of Christ? If we truly have concern, it should be outward focused. When it turns negative, usually there's a desire to protect ourselves, defend ourselves, or to be the one in control. When situations and circumstances arise, guess what? They often come with people attached to them. Ever notice that? The things that are driving you crazy or driving you crazy, the circumstances that are out there, the positions that are out there that people are taking, they come with people attached to them. Some of them are in my own family. Some of them are in your family. Some of them are in our church. We don't agree on everything. What do we do with that? The devil wants to destroy unity. My motivation for two weeks ago and this week is unity in the body of Christ, in particular this body. And I'm not sharing this because I think it's terrible. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's bad. But you know what? The devil wants to destroy it. He does not want unity. Is there anything out there in our culture and world today that the enemy might use to destroy unity in the body of Christ? Jeez. The list could be really long. We might as well pick some obvious ones. If you don't get the vaccine, you don't like people, you don't care about people, you're not very loving and compassionate, you don't care about health. If you get the vaccine, you're nothing but a sheep being led to slaughter. Why don't you study and do some research? What's wrong with you, you moron? Either one of those positions resonate with anybody? I could use the same example for masks. And it doesn't stop there. Look at the issues that are out there that we are arguing and fighting about. Can we have concern? That doesn't mean we ignore issues. But it should determine how we respond and how we react to the people that are attached to the issues. Freedom of speech. Censorship. There's no way you should be saying those things on Facebook. So we're going to censor you. Wait a minute. What about my right to speech and free speech? Who are those idiots? God, I hate people like that. Any of those things ever rise up, anybody? Yeah, I got a long list. <laughs> Tell me when you've had enough. <sighs> we could go so on and on. The political parties and a lot of this stuff can come from them. I can't, how, I can't understand how any, any sensible, clear-thinking human being could be a Republican. I can't understand how any sensitive, clear-thinking human being could be a Democrat. What is wrong with you?
Now, if I was talking to the choir, this would be easier. But we don't all agree on these things, people. And that's okay. But how we respond is everything for the body of Christ. I need to look inward. Why would I be afraid of somebody who wants to change the Second Amendment so they can control and take away my gun? Anybody that wants to do that, there. They come to my door, guess what? I got a gun. I know how to use it. On the flip side, why would anybody get so worked up about us wanting to pass a few laws to regulate guns? Don't they care about all the people are getting killed and all the people are getting murdered? The crime that's taking place because of the guns? What's wrong with these people? Which side you fall on, I don't even care today. My question is, is it fear-driven worry? How, what do you mean fear-driven worry about the guns, Mike? It's worry if it, I'm worried about one thing and one thing. How will this affect me? How will it affect me? How do I respond? And like I said before, the problem with these issues is that people are attached to them. And they don't all agree with me. They should. <laughs> but they don't. I mean, I can be in a really good mood, pretty positive and upbeat, and there are certain topics that could come up, and if I let my guard down, I feel my countenance changing just like that. I feel the tone of my voice changing just like that. And my thoughts I would have for those people on that side of the issue are not all that loving. Just that fast. And I know I've seen it in some of you, just like I see it in me when certain things brought up. So do the words I say or the thoughts I think, are they edifying and glorifying to Christ or to the lost? I keep coming back to, and this is what I've been so convicted of in my own life is, we are commanded to love all people. We are commanded to go and make disciples, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Am I preparing those people that are on the other side of those issues that I hold so dearly, going to listen to me share about the love of Christ if the opportunity would ever present itself? Am I truly acting as, walking as, talking as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? That's the bottom line. We are never going to agree on all these issues. And I am so convinced this is an evil, deceptive thing that's taking place in our nation. I think most of us would agree. It's an evil spiritual war. Most of the people on either side aren't necessarily aware of all the ramifications. Those that I would say are on the side of evil, they're deceived, and I wouldn't expect them to not be deceived if they don't know the Lord. And just because we know the Lord doesn't make our position right on every issue. But how we respond, respond is the important thing. Do we respond out of concern? Do I want to love and demonstrate the love of Christ enough to family members that are so politically, culturally opposite of me, 
or do I want to let them know what I think? In a very fleshly way. How about those people we meet? Or we just get in conversations on the street or at the restaurant in the workplace. It's easy to love the people that agree with us. Well, sort of. It's a lot easier to love the people that we agree with. It's hard to love the people that I can't even understand. But that's what I'm called to do. How do I demonstrate the love to these people that are attached to issues and circumstances that are so opposite and different than mine? Well, the good news is I'm almost to the end. The bad news is I left my notes a long time ago. Go ahead and put up the last slide. We need to be reminded continually what Christ has done for us. What he's done for us while we were yet sinners. He saved us. We were deceived as bad as the worst that are deceived today. But he loves them too. And his desire is what? That none should perish. And he calls his church to be his hands and feet, his mouth, if you would, to share the good news of the gospel. And that should always be at the forefront of our mind as we're thinking on these positive things. And how can we demonstrate that to the world around us? especially to those that in the flesh we probably wouldn't even care about or be one even be around. I'd much rather spend the time in my flesh around all of you that I love and, and we think alike. But hopefully we're already saved, right? We need to continually be aware. Search our hearts first before we take those five action points and put them into place, we need to say, Holy Spirit, show me my heart. Reveal what's in my heart. Help me to respond out of your heart to each one of these situations. And when we know we're in that right place, we take those steps. Now, those steps can be utilized to bring glory to God or they can be utilized to bring glory to the enemy depending upon our heart attitude. What's our heart attitude? Can I have the worship team come on up and uh, lift everybody's spirits for where I'm taking them? (laughs) I want to encourage you. Let's stand together if you would. And if there's some of the things that I said that I struggle with that that resonate with you, there's only one way to deal with it. I need to confess it and repent of it as the Holy Spirit convicts us. So, Lord, I pray right now for all of us here. God, our our heart's desire is to glorify you and to bring you honor. Now, what less could we possibly do for the one who redeemed us, saved us, and died for us? We're called to be your ambassadors, but we're also called to be in your army. God, there are times 
when there is spiritual warfare, there are times to love. Lord, I pray you would give us the discerning of your spirit to know when those times are. I pray, God, for all of us to have the kind of concern that you walk the earth with. And Lord, I pray you would help us and give us grace to take all of our thoughts captive and think on those things that bring you glory and honor, those things that are pure and righteous and holy and good, that we would not allow that unhealthy worry to manifest in our lives. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.